Welcome back to our listeners across the world. This is the fourth and final episode in our series on peace building. So far during this series, we've talked about the moral imagination, about hospitality, and this week we're going to be talking about embrace. So the concept of embrace, Mariam, could you tell us what that means in peace building? So much of the work uh, or the, the theology that we've hooked onto around embrace comes from the Croatian theologian Miroslav Volf, who writes about exclusion and embrace. And he explores uh, the journey of reconciliation and peace building within and between communities. And this journey from exclusion uh, into embrace. He talks about four key elements as part of this journey, if you like, of embrace. Uh, he talks about repentance, forgiveness, making space in oneself for others, and the healing of memory. He also offers us this image, uh, I'll try and bring you along uh, as you're listening into this image, of the four key kind of moments of this journey from exclusion to embrace. And if you can imagine uh, two people who have had some form of exclusion or conflict between them coming together, and the four moments of coming towards a place of reconciliation, beginning with opening their arms uh, to each other, or one opening their arms to the other, then waiting for the other person to respond to the offer and embrace, this moment of waiting to see if there will be reciprocation to those open arms. If there is reciprocation, this closing of the arms, with each party holding and being held, the embrace must be gentle so that both sides remain identifiably themselves. And then finally, the opening of arms again. Each must let go of the other in order that they can keep their individuality um, and yet be left with a trace of that coming together. So he talks about these four moments that people on both sides of the conflict need to come towards and both have to be a part of that process. Uh, they can journey on their own, uh, but it won't come to the full, uh, the full fruition of, of reconciliation if both aren't involved in it. So we've got repentance, forgiveness, making space for the other in oneself, and healing of memories. David, I know that you've got a biblical story illustrating the concept of embrace. There's a sort of an embrace that's recounted in the latter stages of the book of Genesis in the Bible. And it's an embrace between two brothers, between Jacob and Esau. And Jacob um, had tricked his brother Esau out of Esau's inheritance. And uh, fearing for his life, he fled. And he then spent many, many years away and apart. But there comes a moment when he decides to return and the story ends with an embrace. And in that embrace, his brother Esau, the one who he'd deceived, says to see you, to see your face is like seeing the face of God. And there's a moment of reconciliation that happens in that embrace. But I think um, that journey towards reconciliation is described by John Paul Lederach, one of the founders of Conflict Transformation. And he describes how there's a moment of risk, of uncertainty, of stepping into the unknown as Jacob begins to travel back towards his brother. And there's a particular moment 
um, where he's camped, I think, by the ford of the Jabbok. And he sends, in fear, I think, he sends his family across the river in towards the land where his brother and his brother's family and his herds are and his shepherds and his servants. And he spends the night there by the ford. And during the night, he wrestles. The story's a bit vague. Some people say he wrestles with God or he wrestles with an angel who may or may not be God. And in that, towards the end of this sort of wrestling match, they're both clinging to each other, exhausted. And Jacob demands a blessing. And God says, what is your name? And he won't release him until he says his name. And we lose a bit because Jacob for us is just a, a name. But when you translate it, what it actually means is deceiver or usurper. So in, staying, in saying his name, he's admitting who he is. He's recognizing his own fault and complicity in the conflict between him and his brother. And I think there's a very significant part there in reconciliation, in that embrace, where you recognize that, that you too are at fault. It's not an either or. You are at fault in this somewhere. And I think that's a very significant moment in that. And then the next day he crosses with a limp, uh, he crosses the river and has this embrace with his brother and they are reconciled. But I think there is that key moment of coming face to face with who you are in that embrace as well. So repentance is a key first step, a place of, of risk, but realization of our own identity, our own role in the process. We're going to hear now from Rene August about forgiveness, which is the next step in the process. What's important about forgiveness? Um, well, I think the entire story of scripture uh, requires us to explore this idea of forgiveness. As a South African, I can't get away from the person of Desmond Tutu, who um, among the books he's written, he's written two about forgiveness and spends a lot of his life talking about forgiveness. And him having had a, a personal influence on my life, I, um, I, I couldn't ignore the topic. I think the command to honor your mother and your father is only possible if we begin to address the issue of forgiveness. And so I see through the traces of our entire story from Genesis to Revelation, there's these implications and requirements of forgiveness that make life and community possible. And so if we don't have some idea of what scripture says about forgiveness, if we don't have some idea of what it looks like to live a life of forgiveness, even though we live in contexts of pain and injustice, then we can't actually call ourselves disciples of Jesus in any faithful way. It was great to hear from Renee there about forgiveness. So space for the other, Mariam. Talk to us about that. So this is one of the bits that I really love about Wolf's four parts of this journey because he really recognises that forgiveness is a key moment where hostility breaks down but it doesn't necessarily lead to a restored relationship. And so the making space for the other is the going one step beyond and is actually attempting to yeah, really embrace one another in relationship uh, because it, you could easily forgive one another for past hurts and go your separate ways and, and maybe that is what needs to happen at that moment but there is in reconciliation this part of coming together um, for the sake of restoration and transformation and he puts it in the image actually uh, of both the trinity in the kind of christian theology uh, as well as jesus on the cross 
and this moment in which Jesus, in his suffering, in his oppression, opens his arms and offers forgiveness even to those who uh, had done him wrong. And in offering that forgiveness, invites people into that relationship with God, into that Trinitarian open relationship in which we can be a part of the heart of who God is. And so for Wolf, it's very much about invitation. It's about recognising that we are built for relationship and for restored relationship where there has been hurt. Um, he says that in the grace of God, we shouldn't be resisting being made into the agents of grace, which means that in accepting uh, grace, we must also be willing to work from a place of grace for others as well. Wow. Renee August has more to share with us today and we're going to listen to her speak about the healing of memories. Uh, my my favourite pilgrimage that I did um, was the one a year after the death of Nelson Mandela. And so we went away to Robben Island and um, took a group of sort of 30-somethings and we spent some time reading 2 Kings chapter 2, the story of Elijah and Elisha. And um, to watch those young people engage with the story, pretending that they were Elisha talking to their Elijah, whoever that is, um, walking the streets of Robben Island where our leaders walked day after day from the prison cell to the lime quarry, and then begin to realize that within them lies the potential for leadership, within them lies the opportunity for them to stand up and say yes um, to giving leadership. It was just, it was a joyful, wonderful, wonderful time for me. And so it was a real privilege to be able to do that. And at the same time, have with us the former Archbishop Njongongkulu, who was a political prisoner on Robben Island, and interviewing him and having him share stories with us. And then at the end, for him to pray and lay hands on some of those young people and commission them to, you know, become leaders in our country. That, that was a really enriching experience for me. So the last part that Wolf talks about is the healing of memories. Could you just tell us a bit about that? So the key to this part for him really is that in any journey of reconciliation, there's a, a certain kind of forgetting in which people will always still remember their histories. Um, but in the healing of memories, it's about not trying to pretend like you're going to forget what happened to you, but it's about moving from a place of holding anger, holding a grudge and allowing yourself to uh, hold that memory whilst trying to move towards reconciliation and a restored relationship with people. So Wolf talks about the healing of memory as a part of this process of reconciliation where it's not about forgetting uh, everything that happened to you, uh, it's about remembering your history but moving beyond holding grudges. And he talks about different ways in which that reconciliation can happen uh, and essential parts of that. And I think that's what I love about this part of the theology is that Wolf really grounds it in the reality of who we are as humans and our complexity. And he talks about telling the truth about the past. He talks about placing our memories in the context of a hopeful vision, recognising that we have a responsibility not to repeat what was done to others and acknowledging that reconciliation is offered to our enemies as well as to ourselves. Um, and if we're able to move through that process, and, and by no means is that a simple process, we can move beyond the hurt and anger that memories can hold for us, remember our histories, but move into a space of reconciliation. 
That's so deep, but so practical. It's been great to talk about embrace today. I'd love to come back to that image of the embrace that Wolf gives us and the stages that the people involved go through, those both sides of the conflict. Could you just run through that for us again, Mariam? So Wolf talks about uh, opening the arms to the other person, uh, that sense of then waiting for the other person to respond to the offer of that embrace. If that person responds and comes towards, there is then the closing of the arms with each party holding and being held gently enough that each person can still identify themselves. And then finally, that opening of the arms again, where each must let go of the other so that they can remain themselves and yet be enriched by the traces of that embrace. Enriched by the traces of that embrace. David, you had a thought about that. Yes, I mean, going back to the story of Jacob and Esau and that, that embrace where they come together and Esau says to Jacob that seeing your face is like seeing the face of God. But of course, they then do open the arms again and release each other. And I, I think from the story, I, there is a, a bit of feasting. There's bound to be. There generally is in these stories at that point, I think. And they spend time together. But then they recognise that there isn't space for them both in the same place. Their herds are too big. And so they agree to separate and to go their separate ways. But they go reconciled. And so there is a release each to their own. There's no longer a, a sense of damage from the past. There is a relationship, and we know there's a relationship because when their father dies, they both come together and bury him together as brothers together, united. And so there is something in that release again that there's no sense of control or ownership over each other there is a freedom with each other and you're freed from what's bound you from that hatred, from that bitterness and from that fear. So they leave as, in some ways, freed men. That was a really helpful story to illustrate how actually peace has been built, but these two men are not living in the same space afterwards and peace can look different. I know that, Mariam, you have a story of where perhaps peace between two men look different at the end and in fact they did end up occupying more of the same space together at the end of their process of reconciliation so we'd love to hear about that. Yeah, it was a story um, from Lebanon where I think about three years ago I was we were doing a, a kind of faith in conflict tour around Lebanon and part of our tour was meeting uh, this organization called Fighters for Peace and the two men that came to speak to us, one called Asad Shafteri and the other Ziad Selim, who at the time of the Lebanese Civil War, which lasted for 15 years uh, in the 1970s, Asad Shafteri was a general of the Maronite army and Ziad Selim was one of the uh, militia fighters on the Palestinian side, both essentially fighting against each other. And at the time of the Lebanese Civil War, um, there was so much sectarian fighting that even they themselves would say that the civil war blinded us um, and all that we could do was to take up arms. Asad Shafteri, in his own telling of his story, often talks about how, as far as he was concerned, it was a case of survival, it was a case of winning, it was a case of only seeing the enemy. And he tells a story of how, essentially, he commanded the death of dozens of people from the command and control where he was as a general. And for Ziad, it was fighting for uh, a bigger picture of being a Palestinian refugee, 
of the Syrians coming in and then potentially losing more space, more identity, and being on the side that was trying to keep that identity uh, within this civil war, which had just become everybody fighting against everybody. What was incredible about their story was that both of them went through a very particular healing of memories journey. Both came towards the end of that journey um, seeking forgiveness, uh, not just from each other, but from their own communities. And what was equally interesting, I remember Assad Shaftari particularly saying how he wrote an open letter to the Lebanese people seeking forgiveness for what he had done and how many of his own in his own community reprimanded him for seeking forgiveness. But his own deep journey was one where he took that responsibility for his actions. Uh, so he went through the process of repentance. He sought forgiveness, some of which was given by some and some which wasn't. He then made space for those he was fighting against and him and Ziad uh, over the last sort of six or seven years have built a deeply beautiful friendship uh, where they now uh, go out to universities, they work with the armed forces, they work with young people who may be enlisted into the army to talk about the rules of engagement, to talk about uh, peace over justice. Um, and I know when I was sitting in the room with both of them listening to their stories, uh, what really struck me was the depth of inner journey that they'd each gone through um, and the conviction that they had to seek forgiveness even though it wasn't always given from the other um, but they just had this deep conviction that there was a different way to do things and seeing them together telling the story is just an incredible thing in and of itself and I know in the current situation in Lebanon where things are fraught at the moment uh, for them they're even more exercised about passing on um, and this is where the memory comes in both of them wanting to recall what had happened in the days of the civil war to the next generation as a way in which to say to them this is what happens when we take up arms and when we create enemies and create walls between us um, and so in telling the story over and over again trying to build a choice in the next generation to not take up arms and go down the same road uh, that they went down. What an incredible story, what incredible men um, on such a journey and such fruit from that journey that they've chosen to take in themselves. There may have been a journey for some of our listeners. This is the fourth episode. We've looked at an overview about peace building. We've covered the moral imagination. We've thought about hospitality. And today we've been thinking about embrace. Some people might be really deeply involved already in peace building, and I hope for those listeners, they've found a community of fellow peace builders in the interviewees in the room and those we've listened to from further afield. And for others, this might be the beginning of a journey into peace building. And I hope particularly in that first episode, you enjoyed hearing about how Mariam and David themselves came into this work. So I'd like to pose the question to you, David, and to you, Mariam. For those listeners who have been feeling a stirring as they've been listening, what could they do in the places that they're in to start that journey of being a peace builder, taking on some of these ideas that we've explored together? I guess one way is to begin to think about how can you provide hospitality 
Are there people that you can reach out to without an agenda and just provide that hospitable place where people can come and be genuine and be real? And to do that with what Lederach calls a paradoxical curiosity, a willingness to listen and to learn and an openness to see new things and to hear new things and to see new visions in that. I think for me, uh, I'm reminding of the of the question that um, Ruby Sales, who's a, an American civil rights activist, always asks, which is, where does it hurt? And asking that question to ourselves, and it may well be that that's within your personal circle, it may be that that's within your community, it may be further afield, uh, but really beginning to ask that question of where does it hurt? And from that, allowing yourself to acknowledge it, uh, and then begin that journey of imagination. What is it that could possibly be different in this space of hurt? Uh, and then moving into that space of, as David said, hospitality. Who can I invite around the table? And then how can we go through this journey of reconciliation by embracing one another? People might want to look more deeply at some of these concepts. I was wondering if you could just remind us of the key texts and the titles that people could look up to explore more about moral imagination, hospitality, embrace. So on hospitality, I think um, pretty much anything by Henry Nouwen, but in particular his book Reaching Out is a good place to start. On the moral imagination, uh, we tend to lean on John Paul Lederach a, a lot. He's written both a book called Moral Imagination uh, as well as his Journey to Reconciliation. And uh, from Miroslav Wolf, there is his book, um, From Exclusion to Embrace. I guess just to highlight that uh, on Tierfund's own website, we've got both our theological framework available, as well as a series of Bible studies uh, which were created by René August that take you through all of these uh, different concepts and ideas. And we also have on our, our website as well, there's a whole host of different peace-building tools, games, activities uh, that you can do. They're very powerful games, there's instructions on them as to how, to how to use them and try them out. Try them out with different groups of people. So that website is the Tear Fund Learn website. It's learn.tearfund.org and we'll put all those links accompanying this podcast. It's been an amazing time recording this series. Thank you so much for the time that you've given Mariam, um, David. Thank you to our producer, Lucy Gardner, and our sound recordist, Andrew Phillip. I'm Alice Phillip. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.